Shalom and welcome to Product Nation, a weekly podcast by product managers in Silicon Valley, covering how tech products get created and executed by some of the most accomplished product experts in the world. I'm Ophir Barral, today with me and my co-host Neil Paz, we welcome Uri Lavin. Neil, Alam, Uri, Shalom, how are you guys? Shalom. All good. Uri, where are you at? And tell us something fun for Corona. So I'm here in the center of Israel. And something cool about Corona. So in the last weeks, I have experienced a very cool series on Netflix. I highly recommend that. It's called Lupin. As my background, I used to be an interrogator in the military service. So I have experienced a lot of human interaction, psychology, or some other things. And I like this series because it's bringing something from that. from the background, right? It's about a person that changes identities all the time. He's a kind of a clever thief. So it's something that I highly recommend for everybody to watch. What's it like a really cool scene in there since we're not going to do a whole spoiler, but just one little anecdote from that series that you love. There is a cool scene where he convinced somebody just to give all the precious stones a person has to him just to... Like that, just talking to her. I saw Lupin as well. I actually okay. liked it also. It's in the same genre of the anti-hero. It's, it's pretty cool. Anything you say basically would be a spoiler, so I don't want to say anything. We watched Imposters recently, and it was crazy good. There's two seasons. I think it's on Netflix. We definitely binged it. It took about a couple of weeks for the two seasons. But okay, well, let's get started. And Uli, if you can give us just a quick background on you and what brought you to what you're doing today, of course, what you're up to. Sure. So I grew up in the... center of Israel, pretty standard childhood. I think the most defining point is always for many Israelis is the military service. As I mentioned, I got into the interrogation. So I was a military interrogator. Yeah. I was a pretty cool service. I mean, definitely cool experience. And what I learned actually is that I'm a constant learner. I love to learn new things. I love to be engaged in many things. And after finishing my army service, despite of being pretty good, all the psychology, law and things that, I actually... Don't consider too much to go to that direction. I went to the technology. And after that, I started a career in high tech as a developer, team leader, R&D manager, VP R&D, CEO. And then finally, as, as you have mentioned, the founder and the CEO of Right Vision. Right Vision. Okay, cool. And wow, what a, an amazing background. We'll have to learn from you some of these interrogation techniques when we get to the, the hiring process. portion afterwards because yeah. that probably means that you're really really good at hiring which is such it's probably the most important part yeah super so so tell us about right vision what are you up to so rubs a collision avoidance technology for motorcycles on contrary to cars we spe- specifically deal with two wheelers and three wheelers of the world okay and and so it's a little bit like what the technology that sits on Tesla yeah or... it's pretty much the same idea of trying to provide to the riders to the bikers capability and abilities to avoid collisions, avoid dangerous situations. But the reality is, of course, different because the vehicle itself is very unique. I mean, the, the vehicle itself is pro- pretty primitive. It's, it's not so sophisticated as all the passenger cars. It vibrates all the time. It leans zigzags within the traffic. So the maneuverability of the vehicle is completely different. Those uh, vibrations, those leaning operations create challenges in perception of the environment. And then also, because it's such a primitive vehicle, there's also a question of edge. 
HMI, how you deliver alerts, what kind of alerts you deliver, how you actually don't end up spooking the rider and creating that the other way around that he will actually collide. You want to make something that he will understand very quickly and will respond very quickly to a danger. So that's the main business that Ride Vision does. And for that, we develop a platform of algorithms that run on the edge. They can be positioned on motorcycle and they deliver the alerts to the biker to avoid those potential hazards. How do you get into this? What's the passion? Why motorcycle? And why are you doing this? Oh, by the way, in the backdrop, I'm seeing that you were CEO of PicScout. Maybe start with that real quick and then move on to this. Maybe I will start even one step before. So I used to work in the Homeland Security after the military service where I was developing intelligence research system for different countries and as well different bodies. And those systems are kind of big brother systems, so they fuse lots of data. And that's exactly where I met my co-founder at Ride Vision New York. He was tracking missiles and aircraft. So, I mean, that's a heavy lifting algorithms on both ends, on the intelligence research as well as on the aerial command and control systems. So we met there. And after a while, we met again at PicScout, where I used to be a CEO, and I basically asked Lior to come and help me to run their R&D. And Pixel was also dealing a lot with the image recognition, image retrieval, big data. And the essence was to help copyright owners to enforce their copyrights on the web, whether it's their images or footage. And then down the road, that became about trends and analytics to sell the data to the marketers and PR companies, people that really want to utilize the visual world in the best way in order to promote things. And since we had all that background of really kind of deep technology in terms of the algorithm, Algorithms and the way how to fuse data and understand data and pre-select out of that specific events. And we are bikers ourselves. Then we started thinking about all that autonomous vehicles and cars is really exploding. Well, there are more than 600 startups in Israel right now in this, in this area only. And as uh, probably you know, kind of mature to some degree world because you see uh, big manufacturers of cars already developing such systems. They have, they're moving into autonomous ability and autonomous driving. There's lots of sensors, lots of collaborations, lots of vehicle-to-vehicle data, etc. But there's nothing that has been done into the tubular space. And we kind of understood that because it's a very primitive, as I mentioned before, and very difficult vehicle. In order to understand the maneuverability of that vehicle, I always joke, it's an aircraft in a congested environment. It maneuvers very quickly, accelerates, deaccelerates, leans, zigzags, comes into the traffic. So you really need to predict the trajectory of a motorcycle. And there really out of that prediction, understand how that correlates with each and every one object that is on the road, and then to understand whether there is a collision, yes or no. So we came to that by really understanding there, there are already some solutions in other industry, and there is a wide open gap. Nobody enters that gap right now. We have the capabilities of our background. We know bikes because we're riders, so we can kind of envision what that product should be, what that solution should be. And since we, we knew that has been sold already in other industries, we knew that we can bring that here of course, with a relevant solution, with much more tuned solution, it's not a copy-paste. It's something that we really need to solve and create a barrier of entrance. And that's what we did. So from a product perspective, I'm still trying to wrap my head as a customer, as a writer. What do I actually get and how how do I get that? Is that inside my helmet? Is that a visor? Is that a bracelet? Or how do I get the alerts? So this is a great question because once you understood the gap and now you want to solve the problem, right? 
you would probably start by asking yourself, so what's the product, right? So that's, that's totally right what you were saying. And for that, we went through a big of a process. So we didn't lean on our own experiences because, uh, of course, we're biased, right? So we actually created focus groups of bikers, of different bikers, very experienced, less experienced. We went to potential distribution centers, I mean, different shops and different importers of bikes, and we just met any potential biker that would enter into the shop when we just interviewed them. We asked, what do you want? How that's supposed to provide you additional safety? What kind of alerts you want to have? Are they supposed to be audio, visual? Should they be located in the helmet, on the bike? And after we did all those interviews and we read a lot of research and we understood different problems, we distilled that to the first very simple understanding of what needs to be done. So that even pre-MVP, I would say, right? And basically the idea was to put two cameras, two wide-angle cameras on the front of the bike and the tail of the bike. And the reason to that, because this is a very short vehicle and it doesn't have enough space, no compute power to put lots of sensors. So we had to minimize the number of sensors to use. And for that, for that reason, we put two cameras, two wide-angle cameras, front and rear. So when the bike moves, that allows us to fuse the data and analyze almost 360 degrees around the bike. So that was a kind of a clever proposition in that area. And once we understood that how we are putting our sensors on the bike, and then we basically fuse that data, understand that data, and we run our algorithms that we had at the back of our mind already, what we want to do, then we solve what kind of HMI we need to deliver. And that came through those interviews, through that research. And we found out that the best way to deliver an alert would be a visual cue to a biker. And the reason to that is because the biker has that helmet that limits the visibility and limits the ability to get any potential input because the hands are always on the handlebar. So if you start to do audio alerts, then if you want to, for example, shut it down or you want to do something, it's almost impossible to do it when you write. Now, if you introduce additional HMIs within the helmet, that creates a problem of how you actually getting the alerts. Is it a hood, a heads-up display? Then you actually move your eyes from the hood, from the display, down to the road and up and down, up and down. So basically missing the focus, we're basically losing the focus from the road. And so eventually our HMI is a very simple intuitive LED strips that we add on top of the mirrors or within the mirrors, if this is for the manufacturers of bikes, because we have two systems. And those LED strips are so intuitive because those two mirrors are basically a geographical division of your world. When they both are on, it means that's a frontal area, whereas only one on, that's area where basically it's on, right? So if it's the right mirror, it means the frontal right area. If it's the left mirror, frontal left mirror. So we have a very clear, intuitive way to deliver the alerts. They don't spook the rider. The rider have, sees, sees those lights on and he knows what to do. He knows how to basically respond, but he's not suddenly alerted with uh, harsh audio or vibrations or something like that. So that was researched extensively to distinguish that first MVP. From there, it just to continue to grow and grow in features and the capabilities. I can only imagine that you're talking about hardware and hardware is its own thing that a lot of investors try to stay away from. And on top of that, I'm imagining that early on people would have pushed back and said, oh, that's not a big market. Cars are the big market. If you can talk a little bit about the TAM, the available market, right? And then within that, what do you hope to capture and maybe even tell us some things that we didn't expect when 
and you say motorcycle, I immediately think about that sports motorcycle and probably that market is small, but maybe Vespa or something all over India, for example, is your market in fact. So if you can talk a little about those kinds of things. Yeah, so let's start with the market and then we'll talk about the hardware, etc. So the market is actually surprisingly big because when we look at the commuters and we look at the people that commute to work or they basically do last mile delivery, which is the commercial side of two wheelers, then the market is pretty big. Right now, we have about 700 million units available in the world, where in terms of passenger cars, we have about 1.4 billion. So it's uh, uh, half a size. And every year, about 65 million units being manufactured. And in cars, in passenger cars, it's about 80 million. So it's pretty close. But the problem is, is that a motorcycle, of course, is a cheaper, it's a cheaper creature. It's a cheaper vehicle. Now, in terms of actual TAM, you need to calculate that against the safety systems, right? So what you basically compare it against is the safety systems that being sold. And for Ride Vision, both markets are relevant. The aftermarket, which is whatever you buy as a protective gear, as GoPro to your helmet, after the fact that you bought your bike. And this is imperative. We'll talk about that later on. And secondly, is the actual manufacturers of the bike, okay? the one that basically manufactured the system. And the total combined time for us vis-a-vis uh, -vis the safety system is about 16 billion a year. Okay, that's that's the time of this uh, of the safety systems, more or less. Now, why it's important to talk about the aftermarket and, and some other things. So when we started this company, we understood it's not going to be simple, right? Because uh, yes, there's the hardware component to that. People hate hardware. It's uh, it's not an easy thing to do. The majority of hardware companies have tough times in manufacturing and doing things, etc. But here's why it's important. If we have the aftermarket that is completely widely open, there is nothing there, and it's pretty difficult system to build, then we have a barrier of entrance that allows us to very quickly enter the market and start getting money. Any potential startup that actually works in the other industry that has been proven, as you mentioned before, any other startup in the classical automotive, sensors manufacturers, sensor startup, fusion startup, they have a very long cycle of about eight to 10 years until maturization. And this is a completely, completely difficult barrier to maintain your startup, taking more capital, raising more money, etc. So once you have the aftermarket, you know how to build the system, how to be the first in the market, then you know that you will be earning money and you will be earning money. So it's a viable you know, business you can run faster. And the second piece is that since you are taking the money now from the real market, then you have the ability to wait a little bit longer with any potential bike manufacturer and enter or integrate your system inside. And if it takes additional year or two, you don't really care because yeah, I have that money. And the last piece about the hardware, you're completely right. I mean, I have heard that a lot and it's tough. Honestly, it's tough. If anybody tells you the hardware is simple, is is just lying. Hardware is tough because it has a long cycle. You really need to know how to source it. You need to know how to build the plans. And we are still starting. I mean, it's, it's, it's not simple to do. But what you can do in order to minimize that gap is to find out whether you can build your startup on existing off-the-shelf hardware. So you don't need to build your own hardware. You don't need to sit down for 10 years and build completely new 
CPU chips and chipsets and computing units and things like that. You can go ahead and integrate off the shelf. Yes, the integration also takes some time, but it's much easier than really sitting down and building your completely hardware. And that's what we did initially. It costs us a little bit more. We are going to sit down and we're going to integrate existing hardware. We're going to build software that, that can run on that existing hardware. And that will, will give us the ability to run faster, not to depend on specific things, you know, be able to change the software faster and also not depend on that long cycle of development that needs to be right. done in the hardware. But what does it cost if I'm a motorcycle rider? What is this, $1,000 to upgrade with your system? No. So this is another interesting point because once you introduce a new product, and this is, and guys, this is a new product in the market. There's nothing dead right now. We're the first to the market. Now, so there is a question of how you price it. It's, a, it's an interesting question, right? So in this case, we came up with two business models. The first one is a simple one that everybody, of course, understands. You pay $600, you get the aftermarket kit, you retrofit your bike, regardless of whether it's a Vespa or it's a Harley, you know, big bike or small bike, you retrofit and off you go. For that, you get five features. I will not name them here, but five basic features. Now, the other option is actually to pay $360 which is much, much less, okay? And not that the first option is expensive, I mean, less than, less than your iPhone, right? So, and that saves your life, right? The second option is $360, and then you pay $20 subscription a month. And for that subscription, you get more features that have been enrolled in terms of experience and safety. And that's another piece that is also important to mention. Every time you build a product, my own experience of selling products and building products, the more features you will have in the product, the more you will sell. It's simple like that. Now, of course, you don't want to end up with being Word, right? And if you know Word has so many functions, so many capabilities, that nobody really knows what are them. And somewhere in 2000 and something, I don't remember the year, they redesigned the Word and they started to hide all those features. Remember all those ribbons that they introduced and etc. because no, nobody really... about the documents? Or the Microsoft editor. They started to kind of collapse features. But the sheer fact that as a product owner, you really need to know that if you have more features, then there will be more benefits. There are people who like 20% of those features and there will be another people that will like 20% of other features. Give us a picture real quick. What are the top five for the 600? So the basic features that we have is recording first. I mean, it's a dash cam. So we're already replacing a GoPro for you. And the four others are safety. And in terms of safety is the forward collision. So obviously we want to avoid forward collisions. It's a distance keeping violation alert that is particular for two wheelers. I will not go into that, but there's a lot of dynamics of how the bike maneuvers and how to maintain it safe for distance. The third one is blind spot warnings. And if you really think about that, I mean, I don't know whether you had the experience of riding a bike. You have that helmet that limits your visibility, your horse. You don't see nothing, you don't see nothing here. And then, especially when cars coming from, from behind and they're overtaking you, it's really hard to understand what's going on. And we don't have a middle a rear view mirror. There is nothing like that. So it's really hard to see. So blind spots, like in the cars, help us to understand. Again, they're walking 
bit differently for the bike than in the car. And then finally, we have also dangerous overtakes, which is if somebody dangerously overtakes a bike, we also alert to bike. Yeah. Those are the big features. What, what are some things that I can get extra when I do the subscription? For example, you can share your route. I mean, if you are a leisure biker and you had a nice ride they want to share with somebody else, then you basically extract a map of your ride with all the telematics of linear angles, velocities, things like that. But also you can get safety features like emergency call. So if you got crashed, then an emergency call can be raised through your mobile phone to the first responders or anybody who you entered on your mobile app. So that also connects to your mobile app and delivers that as well. So and, and so on. When did you start selling and where are your sales roughly at right now? So we obviously an early stage startup. I mean, we started to sell in Q4 last year. I won't tell you exactly where we are in terms of sales, but it's definitely exceeding. I mean, it's a very, very quickly. In terms of users, paid users, yeah. roughly. Yeah. By the way, the majority of people that buy, they buy with subscription. And this is surprising to some degree because you would say, obviously, people that sometimes don't like it, they don't find that good enough. But here, people understand the value of getting more and more features as it's a platform that grows. In terms of how many riders, we have thousands right now, and we continue to scale. So more and more bikes to the service. What about, what about rolling the price point? So you mentioned 360 or 600. What about rolling the price into, for instance, manufacturers? So if they embed that system in the vehicle, that's one option. Another option, by the way, what you're actually doing is reducing the risk of a rider. How about insurance companies? An insurance company will basically love to have something like this with all their motorcyclists. Yeah, cool. maybe just to piggyback, GTM, and how did you even get to the first few thousand and what's your outlook? So you're both so, so correct. I mean, the go-to-market is, is on my end is simple. So we have the aftermarket, which is the distributors. We don't sell directly to bikers. We sell to distributors. So there are the people, the importers, the distributors that get it, they put it in their shops, they sell it to the bikers, right? So the, the, this is the num number one. In that area, we also have insurance companies. And uh, in fact, we have a nice already collaboration in Italy with one of the biggest insurers there called Sara, And they offer 20% discount for everybody who is going to retrofit their bike with Ride Vision System. So they already checked that and find that pretty significant. So they understand it is going to reduce the claims. And 20% of, of your annual premium basically pays the bill, right? Pays the product more or less. So that's the other go-to-market. And of course, the manufacturers is the other bigger piece of go-to-market. Because the manufacturers is a longer process, anybody who works with vehicle manufacturers, they will need to take a long breath and kind of wait a little bit. And we're doing as well. So we're working with some, we're working with some manufacturers or tier ones, big companies that already have established relationships with manufacturers. Just example, it could be Delphi, Continental, Bosch, you know, all those guys. And we work with them as well. And there are two options to buy our product there, to buy the hardware and software, or actually to buy or license only software. That's also a possibility. But this is a longer path because it takes a longer time for any manufacturer to change their manufacturing lines, to test it, to homologate, which is the regulatory demands that they have, etc. Now, how you get to the first 1,000? I mean, you have a lot of tests that you're doing and you have a lot of tailored samples and promotions 
emotions and you basically do beta tests, right? You beta test with those people and they love what they see. They understand that you save lives, you bring more safety to their bikers. They understand that they created a competitive edge because this is the first product to the market. And slowly and gradually, then you start getting distributors first because the aftermarket is faster, of course. And once those riders start ride, then they usually ride in groups. It's a very tight community. So they start talk and it's, okay, what do you have? Oh, it's nice. Okay, so let me buy that as well. And that it continues to, to go on and go. Of course, you need to fuel that with marketing, you need to sustain that with PRs, but that's the first 1,000. How did you solve it? Did you first find a head of sales from this industry that knows how to then hire people that can then call in or get in touch with those different verticals that you just named, the different segments, if you will, like the insurance is one and the private is one? Or are you taking the ground up approach where you're finding somebody who's not that senior yet, but has particular experience into those markets and you hire those? What's your strategy? It's a great question because it really depends when you are in your process as a startup, as a company. Sometimes you can take that approach of teaching people, basically working with them, growing with them. Well, so it depends on the phase. At this phase, at my current phase, I'm actually looking for uh, a senior sales manager to continue to sell the product. Uh, so if you know somebody or anybody listens and knows somebody, I would be happy to get. Imagine somebody knowing the insurance is completely different than somebody knowing the, the private sector or the word of mouth sector, which is yeah. a thing of its own, or they inserting it into, into you said, the 10-year cycle of a car. You need people that are from that industry. So then you need to segment much more, right? You need to say, okay, so who is doing what? I mean, insurances as well as manufacturers, they are more of kind of dev activity. It's less of the sales. Sales is a repetitive task of being really persistent in what you're doing and selling, sure. selling, selling, right? Yeah. So for distributors, for example, that would be the sales manager. For insurance companies and manufacturers that could be a different type of salesperson or biz dev, mostly biz dev person that could do the job. For me, it's right now a salesperson. As a biz dev, is something that I'm doing and at this stage, and as we continue to grow, there will be another role that we will fulfill for that. So you don't come exactly from that industry, but you're finding that you're learning the ropes in something brand new, which makes a lot of sense since it sounds... Now, let me ask you something. Do you have immediate competitors? Obviously, there is. There's no such thing as no competitors. So what does that world look like if you can just talk about the landscape just a little bit yeah so interestingly enough i mean in the aftermarket i don't know anybody right now there will be some probably there will be somebody in the garage or whatever you need to understand that the motorcycle segment is one step or two steps behind the cars so it's pretty new all the safety technologies that are coming in i'll give you one example you know that the abs which is the anti-braking system for cars exists for many years but for motorcycles initially they have been created in 1988 but it took them 16 years to become a commodity because of the size and the weight of the actual component so it took time technology wise to make it smaller and, uh, and lighter in order to in- incorporate into a motorcycle so technology is not simple it's a really barrier of entrance in the aftermarket i'm not aware of anybody but in the manufacturing world or within the manufacturers themselves there are companies that i would not direct competitors but definitely they're close to that and i'll give you one example i mean there is a motorcycle by ducati that has been launched this year and it has a radar it has a frontal radar for adaptive cruise control so it's not for forward collision it's a different system it's a convenient system but regardless i mean if 
already put a sensor uh, such as a radar, of course, you can continue and work on making that maybe collision avoidance system. Whether they will do it, whether they will combine both a camera and a radar, that's probably the approach that I think they will eventually take. But nevertheless, that's a potential kind of competitor that is out there. So I'm thinking about the product management organization at Right Vision. So typically, smaller startup would have basically the founders as the first product managers, but what's them? How, how do you see product evolves in Right Vision? I mean, personally, I can see this goes many ways. You can put the sensors maybe on other vehicles, scooters or cars, or you can for, start forming more BI or biz dev oriented relationships. There are many ways to take this place to other places. What's your take? That's right. So as you said correctly, at this point, it's mostly me and the other co-founder, my partner, Lior. So we we have lots of those prioritizations and discussions. Before talking about Bright Vision, I can say that at Pigscat, we used to have an interesting concept of uh, a weekly prioritization of any potential task. And we had a very, I would say, slim product management team, which each and every product manager has pretty big and uh, I would say very direct access to a big group of R&D people. And each and every week, we had a prioritization meeting between me the VPR indeed, the product managers, and any potential business owner that could be a VP of operations or VP of sales, where we basically prioritize the bigger buckets of issues that we had to do in the, within the week or next week. The task could have been divided, it could be smaller, it could be bigger, that's fine. At least we reprioritized all our activities on a weekly basis just to ensure that we continue to work product-wise on the right things. Now, as the team evolves, as the team becomes bigger, and this is one of the biggest lessons I have, every product, or I would say every successful product will eventually explode. Because you start small, you know exactly what you're doing, you do uh, feature A and feature B, but then you start to continue and grow, and if it's successful, you add more features, and you add more, more capabilities, and you sell it, and you continue to grow and grow and grow, and eventually it explodes. And we all know we have been in those companies that we always needed to develop conquer, refigure, build, you know, smaller things or change things, right? So as you said correctly, at Right Vision right now, it's, it's me and the other co-founder. We prioritize that, we know what we're doing, and we're taking from there. As we continue to grow, the product manager that I will be looking will be basically trying to maximize the platform that we have built because eventually yes it's a collision avoidance system but it's a bigger platform with a mobile app with interaction with the user with the potential endpoints as you mentioned correctly insurance company biz dev so that creates that huge pipeline of possibilities and this product manager will need to take holistically all that approach from a to z and slowly gradually we will probably fade away and he will take the ownership and will continue to advance that so you've raised approximately 10 million dollars I'm looking at a company here called Nauto. You probably heard of it. It's more in the fleet and uh, car automation. They've raised $173 million. They're right here in Palo Alto. That's probably one of various companies in the car segment. And it's very similar to what you're doing. 
but in the car segment. And then if I recall correctly, just earlier, you said that 1.4 trillion, I think, was the car. No, what was the industry for passenger cars over $3 trillion. So it's pretty big. And the actual motorcycle business, probably half a trillion. I mean, in terms of selling units and maybe accessories on the units and additional systems, yeah. a definitely smaller market. I'm still a little perplexed that A, how could it be that it's 2021 and finally a company like yours comes up? And when you look at the market, it's not that small. I mean, half a trillion is, is massive, right? And, and number one, number two, wouldn't you need just zillions of capital to push this and compete with the big boys and girls? Well, look, there are two schools, people that will say it's never enough. I want to have more. And there is a school of people saying, I have what I, I got and I want to maximize that until I come to that second stage. Now, usually a more experienced entrepreneur will basically level it out because obviously with any capital raising, you have more dilution for everybody. And you want to ensure that if you do the capital raising, you do it for the good reasons. You have a good opportunity, you want to continue to grow, you have your product market fit, and then you start the initial sales. So I mean, in the end, it's, it's a negotiation, right? If you negotiate your valuation is higher, you can raise more money and not dilute yourself. More well, as a rule of thumb, you should usually raise a little bit more. Always it's good to raise a little bit more than you actually intended because sure. things happen. COVID-19, it just happened. And it impacts a lot of startups that I know, including Right Vision, by the way. So yes, to, to answer, I think I would raise a little bit more. But here's the, here's the trick, as you said. People do not understand that segment. People usually have cars. They look at the bikers and sometimes, especially here in Israel, how bikers are riding here. They could be sometimes pretty crazy. So I have seen really a bias of, of investors and some other people that were saying, oh, these are crazy people. They don't need safety systems. I mean, those vehicles are all going to stay here in 10 years. Now that's completely... It's bogus. It's bogus. It's amazing how in the end, these are humans you're dealing with, investors, right? And they oftentimes just look at their world and they, they don't do what they should do, which is, hey, I live in my ivory tower in Israel. But right next door here in India, there is, I don't know, a billion people driving around on Vespas. Or over there in Europe, most people do use different types of bike products. And then, as you mentioned, there's insurance there and that you can tap into. And so it's very interesting to me. It's just a little bit mind-boggling when you look at some of the numbers of related industry companies and how much money they've raised. And it's kind of in the hundreds of million, usually. So I'm just wondering, you already have sales. You're growing fast. Kind of seems to me like, I don't know, capital could really help to get this out immediately versus having to sure. wait. I mean, that's the sure. whole point of VC, right? Is to get you faster into the... Sure. It's a, uh, no, it's all, it, it can always help. But I think at this point, it's fine. I mean, we definitely grow and the sales, as you said correctly, are helping a lot and we will continue to grow and if needed, we will definitely raise more capital. I think at this point, we're fine. But it's important to mention, sometimes those, as you said, sometimes just, just irrational or sometimes some missing points and that's okay. I mean, everybody tries to find their own niche, their own interesting area where they are interested and they're doing things and that's okay. I think we're definitely bringing something new to the market here. We're definitely bringing a very interesting solution. I think Ride Vision has all the chances to, to succeed, but a startup, I mean, it's always a one-way ticket. We reached the end. Maybe just briefly, we'll give you literally a minute, okay? Invent something in a completely different industry in a parallel reality. You're not focusing on right vision something else 
what would it be? Build it in one minute. I don't think I want to tell you. Pick the one you want to tell us. Basically, it's if, if you didn't do what you're doing today and you had basically an endless budget. You no, no, but we've changed the endless budget. We've, we've been tackled on the last one, remember. Endless budget is so, people want to, on the spot, something that from a capitalistic perspective, not a nonprofit, you just want to see your product sense. So you can ask if I would have only $100, what I would be doing. Exactly. Uh, what would you do? Well, dollars and that's it. I mean, probably would start another business. So once you're in, into it, I mean, it's a difficult to, to stop. And again, I will do the same. I think I have a gap that I identified already. I actually have, have already two gaps that I identified and they're pretty big. And I would do the same. I will learn from other industries how they solve that. I'll try to bring that in and we'll create a competitive barrier. So Uri in a parallel universe is doing a doppelganger, Uri. So we fit it into one minute. So that, that worked. Okay. So just to wrap things up, what would you like mostly to tell your listeners right now? Would you like to hire? Would you like to offer yourself for mentorship or for advisory board? Or would you like to invest as an angel investor? Or would you like people to reach out to you for other reasons? So I think all that you have mentioned can work. And I think that I can relate to all those points. And definitely will be happy to get people on my advisory board. I'll be happy to participate as well. I can offer my advice, my lessons that I learned. And as I mentioned before, I do look for sales positions. So if you do know a great salesperson in terms of the aftermarket or the automotive, then please shoot me an email. I'll be happy to, to get it. Uri.lavi, L-A-V-I, at ride.vision. For product management, are you hiring anyone for that? We'll be looking probably very, very quickly. Okay. And I guess last question, let's leave us with some thoughts. Where is this going in 10 years? Where do you see your company in 10 years? I think it's funny because when I pitched initially the idea for this company at one VC, I met that VC exactly two years later. And by the way, they didn't get investing in Right Vision at the first time. But the second time when I met them, they said, look, we are amazed. There are multiple companies coming in and they're telling what they're telling. But I remember your first pitch. It's exactly the same. And then nothing changed. And there is just product. And it does exactly what you said. So I think in terms of uh, strategy forward, I think it's more or less the same. We are going to expand in the aftermarket and we're going to work with the OEMs, which is the manufacturers or bike manufacturers, in order to integrate our system inside and we'll continue to grow our platform. And I hope that that platform will grow in 10 years from motorcycles to any potential two-wheelers that could be electrical bikes, it could be scooters, and etc. So anything that maneuvers differently, it vibrates, tilts up, rolls, and maneuvers within the traffic, something that our built algorithm is basically to tackle. Great. Well, I think it was a fantastic conversation. You're etched in my mind as a multi-billion dollar company exit already. And I wish you that, of course. I also think that what you're doing is fantastic because everybody does have, I think, a connotation of that's that riding a two-wheeler is a dangerous sport. So what you're doing on a mission level is amazing. And I hope it saves a lot of lives. And I hope that others grab something out of this conversation. I sure did. And thanks to both of you. Thank you, Neil. Thanks, Uli. And enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Or in your case, Uli, have a good night. Obviously, Sunday is a work day in Israel. So enjoy the rest of your week. Take care.